Heavenly Father, I thank you for this uh, morning and this uh, beautiful day. I thank you that we are able to gather together around the uh, means that you have provided to sanctify us and build us up in your word and uh, in the gospel. And I pray that you would uh, use these things and that we would have a firm foundation uh, and that we would uh, love you all the more, love your son, and uh, grow in love for one another. And we pray these things in the name of your son. Amen. All right, so last week uh, we began our introduction uh, to the book of Ephesians, and we covered the uh, author of Ephesians, the uh, Apostle Paul, uh, an envoy sent by uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, King over all. Uh, And we also discussed uh, the place of origin or the providence uh, from which Paul was writing his letter, uh, which we argued was from uh, his first imprisonment uh, in Rome between 60 and 62 AD. And today uh, we'll continue our introduction uh, and we'll be looking at the recipients uh, of the letter uh, to whom Paul was writing Uh, And we will also be discussing uh, a related topic of the destination uh, to which Paul was uh, writing uh, to his uh, recipients. Uh, And there we'll see uh, an important textual variant. Uh, And so it's the last time we're going to get into some really uh, technical stuff, but I think it's important uh, to to discuss it. And uh, we we can discuss uh, these things like textual variants uh, in the, the context of faith rather than hearing it from radical skeptics like Bart Ehrman, uh, who, if, if people followed him, it would actually undermine uh, every historical field uh, in the, the universities and, and everywhere. So we'll, we'll be discussing those things today, and we have a lot to cover. So uh, we'll try and hold uh, questions uh, toward the end. We can maybe open it briefly uh, after the, the first section. And then in the coming weeks, uh, we'll, we'll be able to have more, more open discussion, uh, just like a typical Sunday school format. So uh, let's begin uh, just reading the first two verses, and then we'll uh, look at the recipients of the letter. First two. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints uh, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, a grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here in this line, the the second part of verse 1, we see the recipients, uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in uh, Christ uh, Jesus. Uh, And notice that Paul calls them saints. Uh, You could literally translate this, uh, holy ones, or I kind of like how the NIV renders it, uh, God's holy people. Uh, And they they add God there, but that's exactly right. Uh, These are a holy people, uh, a people set apart, consecrated to God. Uh, That's what it means for something to be holy. It is set apart for God and for uh, his purposes. So God is holy by his very nature. He is intrinsically holy. He is distinct from everything else uh, because God is the 
only uncreated being uh, in existence. Uh, as Bob has said, uh, to be God uh, is to be non-contingent. He doesn't depend on anything for his existence but himself. Everything else is created and dependent upon God. So God is holy. He is distinct from all other things by his very nature. Everything else, however, uh, it's created, and it's only holy by its relation to God, by its relation to uh, the creator. Uh, so, for example, uh, a classic example that's used, I remember from R.C. Sproul, uh, if you remember early in Exodus, uh, when the angel of Yahweh appears to uh, Moses in the burning bush, uh, and the angel of Yahweh is himself uh, Yahweh, he's distinct from Yahweh, and yet he is uh, Yahweh. Uh, we, we already see uh, the, 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 the beginnings of what will become uh, revealed in the New Testament uh, as the, the Trinity. Uh, and when he appears before Moses, he s- tells him to take off his sandals uh, for he is standing upon holy ground. Uh, now, ground typically is quite ordinary. Uh, it's just dirt. Uh, it's, it's everywhere you go, uh, you find ground. Uh, But when the angel of Yahweh uh, is present, suddenly the ground in his presence is distinct from all other ground. And you better not treat this ground just like any ordinary ground, for it's holy by its very uh, vicinity and closeness uh, in relationship to uh, the angel of Yahweh, who is himself Yahweh. Uh, and then also throughout the, uh, the, the Torah, the, the five books of Moses, the law, uh, there are holy vessels. Uh, they're vessels set apart to Yahweh uh, for his purpose, uh, for his t- tabernacle, uh, for service uh, to him. Uh, the, the priests are also holy to the Lord. Uh, the high priest is called holy to the Lord. He is set apart uh, to God for service to him, for his purpose. Uh, And as we discussed, if you listen to our uh, youth Bible study on the seventh day, uh, the seventh day is holy uh, to God. He makes it holy. He consecrates it and sets it apart, uh, making it distinct from all the other days because it is the seventh day on which God rested. And uh, it is that day on which Uh, He completed his creation. So it commemorates God's work uh, in creation. uh, And so it is holy, distinct from all other days. Uh, And here we see that the uh, the Ephesians, uh, they too are are God's holy people. They're holy ones, uh, saints. Uh, And saints, uh, it's not uh, an elite class of ultra-pious Christians or anything like that. But all Christians are objectively set apart uh, to God for his uh, purpose. Uh, They belong to God. Uh, And you even see that in the letter to the Corinthians. Uh, And now the the Corinthian church had some serious problems. Uh, Some of the Christians within the church were engaged in a deep immorality, uh, even a deep sexual immorality. Others within the church, although they maybe weren't participating in all of those sins, they were tolerating them uh, within the church. Uh, And yet Paul, in the opening to his letter, calls them 
saints, holy ones, because uh, through faith in the Messiah, uh, they are set apart to God. They belong uh, to God. Uh, and so it is uh, with the, the Ephesians. They are God's holy people. And so it is for, uh, for all Christians. Uh, they, they are God's people as well. Uh, and we'll see this theme developed uh, throughout Ephesians and throughout chapter 1. Uh, just for, uh, for example, in Ephesians 1 verse 18, uh, he talks about he wants them to know, uh, and this is his prayer, uh, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, they are his inheritance. They belong to God. Uh, and this is going to be great encouragement uh, to the Ephesians that they belong to God. Uh, they are safe in the, the arms and sovereignty of God. Uh, and he has set them apart uh, to redeem them uh, as his own uh, eternal uh, possession. Uh, so these are, are God's holy people uh, to whom Paul is writing. Uh, but then he also says, uh, and uh, are faithful uh, in uh, Christ Jesus. Uh, and there are a couple of commentators who try to argue that this word uh, just means believers. They're, they're believers in Christ Jesus. Uh, and in some cases, the word can mean that. Uh, so, for example, I, I remember reading recently and uh, Paul's uh, pastoral epistles, uh, one, one to Timothy, uh, and he was contrasting them uh, serving their masters uh, and being faithful to them, uh, but then uh, serving those masters who are believers uh, all the more. Uh, and it's the same word where he's contrasting masters who do not believe in the Messiah uh, compared to those uh, who do believe, uh, and they should give all the more service because these are dearly beloved brothers. Uh, they've been bought by, uh, bought by Christ. And so in some contexts, it can mean believers, but I really think all the translations get this right. Uh, it means faithful here. Uh, this is a common greeting and commendation by the Apostle Paul. Uh, we'll see it again in the closing of Ephesians. Uh, you can see it again in the opening and closing of Colossians. Uh, in all of those cases, it unambiguously means uh, faithful. It's just a common a commendation that he gives for uh, Christians. And now in the closing of Ephesians, for example, uh, he refers to Tychicus, uh, the beloved brother and faithful minister uh, in the Lord. Uh, and here, uh, faithful, uh, it's, it's modifying minister. He's a faithful minister. And so it's in uh, this role as a minister, as a servant, uh, that Tychicus is uh, faithful. And it's where we get the, the word, uh, well, diakonos, uh, deacon, uh, and someone who is a, who's a minister and serves between the, uh, the churches. And here it's not, a, it's not a technical term for elders and deacons, but just uh, anyone who's a, a servant and a minister. But when we look at the open, opening referring to the Ephesians, he doesn't talk about their particular role. He just says that they are faithful. And so it's, it's rather general. And we, we have to be careful to quite pin down uh, how are uh, the Ephesians uh, faithful? Uh, in, in what sense are they faithful? Uh, and I think it, it probably has to do just generally with respect to God's calling of them and calling of them uh, to the gospel. 
Uh, so we see in Ephesians 1, verse 15, when uh, Paul's giving uh, thanks uh, for the Ephesians, he says, uh, For this reason, uh, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Uh, and so he's heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and your love uh, toward all the saints. Uh, and where the, the Galatians aren't commended as uh, faithful, they're abandoning the gospel. Uh, these ones Paul gives thanks for uh, because he's heard about their, their faith uh, in the Messiah. Uh, these are those who have believed in the gospel, uh, who are holding fast to the gospel, and who love their brothers. And uh, what more describes uh, Christian faithfulness uh, than that? Holding firm to the gospel uh, and loving uh, those for whom Christ uh, died and uh, shed his uh, blood. Uh, so I think the, the faithfulness just really has to do generally with, uh, with their calling uh, to the gospel uh, from, from God. Uh, and really, the, this is the, the, the hope of, of every uh, Christian uh, in the, the last days uh, for uh, not just an apostle of Christ, but for Christ himself uh, to say, uh, well done, my, my good and faithful servant. Uh, but if, if we keep reading in this verse, notice that they're not just faithful, but he says they are faithful in Christ uh, Jesus. And this, this is important. Uh, their faithfulness uh, doesn't just arise uh, independently of Christ. Uh, it doesn't just arise uh, from within themselves, uh, but their faithfulness is dependent on their union uh, with Christ and all the benefits of salvation that flow from that, that union. Uh, and this union is going to be very important in the book of Ephesians. Uh, more than 30 times Paul talks about uh, being in Christ or a, a variation of it, like in the, in the Lord. Uh, and only, only a few times uh, is he ever referring to uh, Christ as the object of faith. Uh, but in uh, in all the other cases, uh, it's referring to their union with him. Uh, as, as Eric says, uh, believers are with him. Uh, the Ephesians are uh, with him. Uh, and so their faithfulness uh, doesn't arise independently from their union with Christ and the, the benefits that flow from that, uh, like their uh, being raised from death to life and uh, being seated at the right hand of God with Christ and uh, indwelt uh, with the, the Spirit and uh, all, all the blessings of salvation and sanctification. Uh, and so uh, th this is important to, uh, to re remember uh, that uh, all Christians are God's uh, holy people. Uh, they belong to him uh, and that uh, the Ephesians' faithfulness, uh, just as our own, uh, doesn't arise uh, independently uh, from Christ. Uh, we, we must uh, always uh, depend on him. Uh, and so th this just touches on the, the recipients. Uh, and now we're going to turn to the, the destination of the letter. Uh, and this also has uh, implications for uh, to whom Paul is uh, writing. All right, uh, so he, he says, uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in uh, Christ Jesus. Uh, and here, 
uh, there's uh, an important variant uh, that we need to discuss. Most of our manuscripts have an Ephesus, uh, but some of our earliest and best manuscripts are missing it. Uh, and so in recent times, uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussion among scholars uh, about uh, what's the reason for this. Uh, was Paul uh, originally writing to the Ephesians? Or uh, was this more of a, a circular letter? Uh, what was a blank left here that, that Tychicus could fill in on the way as he's distributing it uh, to Ephesus and uh, some of the, the surrounding churches, maybe Smyrna, Pergamum, uh, Laodicea, uh, and so on, uh, kind of similar to the, the book of Revelation. Uh, and so uh, we need to discuss issues of uh, textual criticism. Uh, that's the, the discipline for looking at uh, all ancient manuscripts. Uh, manuscript just means a, a handwritten uh, copy. Uh, that's, that's how the texts were uh, preserved for uh, over a millennium uh, until the invention of the, the printing press in uh, the 15th century A.D., and so uh, some think of it, you know, perhaps this is a, a circular letter and perhaps this best explains uh, the, the absence in some of our early uh, manuscripts. Uh, otherwise, uh, others still argue, no, he, he was originally writing uh, to the Ephesians and there are, there are other reasons, uh, better reasons why uh, this is missing from, from some manuscripts. Now, if you think about uh, textual criticism, uh, as I said, uh, our scriptures, uh, since they were written in the first century, uh, they were written in Greek, and then they were copied by uh, hand and uh, even translated for more than a, a thousand years uh, until the printing press. Uh, and copyists, uh, they worked in uh, imperfect environments with imperfect tools and imperfect materials. Uh, they also had... Uh, imperfect attention, uh, memory, uh, judgment, eyesight, hearing. Uh, and so over time, uh, this would lead to, uh, to mistakes. And uh, probably the vast, vast majority were just accidental. They, they weren't trying to make mistakes, but if you copy by hand, uh, it's, it's bound to happen sometimes. Uh, and so uh, the, the most common mistakes really are, are things like uh, variations in spelling or uh, spelling errors. Uh, and sometimes in the, the ancient world, they, they just spelled things in, in different ways. And, uh, and so uh, the, these cover the, the majority uh, and other such things like that. Uh, the, the rarest uh, variance uh, or differences... Uh, and really, any difference is, is a variant. So even a, a difference of, of one letter that's considered a, a variant. Uh, the, the rarest ones are those that are uh, meaningful and viable, uh, meaning that they have a, a substantial impact on the meaning of the, the text, uh, and uh, they are viable, meaning uh, that there's a, a, a decent possibility uh, that they could uh, be original, uh, that they could go back to the original documents written by uh, the prophets and the apostles. Uh, and here uh, we have uh, a rather uh, important uh, variant. Uh, it does matter uh, whether Paul originally wrote in Ephesus or, or whether he uh, left, it, left it out. Uh, and so I'd like to first look uh, at some of the arguments uh, from the perspective that uh, originally 
uh, it was left out. Uh, and so uh, arguing that that is the uh, primary reading, uh, meaning that it's original, uh, and that in Ephesus is the secondary uh, reading, uh, meaning it's not original. Uh, and then we'll, we'll turn the tables and argue from the other direction uh, that uh, in Ephesus uh, is uh, original, and that's uh, to whom Paul intended to address his letter. Uh, and now we're going to be pretty short on time, uh, so I will be putting an article on the Gospel of uh, Grace uh, Fellowship website for this Sunday school uh, from a man named David Allen Black uh, that he wrote in 1981, uh, and it's superb. He, he goes into a great detail uh, on this, uh, and he argues for in Ephesus uh, being original, and he's going to cover uh, much more than, uh, than we can. Uh, and so I'd highly recommend it. Uh, it's going to have some technical terminology that you might have to look uh, some things up, but uh, probably a lot of it will, will be readable. And so if you, if you want to go deeper into these issues, I'd uh, commend that, that article to you. And so first, uh, let's assume uh, that uh, in Ephesus is not original, uh, that the text uh, originally read, uh, uh, I'm missing it, um, to the saints who are and faithful in Christ Jesus, uh, that the, the text originally read that and just dropped out the, the two words uh, in Ephesus. Uh, and first, we'll look at the external evidence, which is just looking at the, the, the manuscripts, uh, the, the copies uh, themselves uh, in their, their own character. Uh, and now, uh, the, the first argument that some scholars would make uh, is that uh, some important uh, early uh, witnesses, uh, Greek manuscripts, uh, are missing in Ephesus. Uh, there are uh, five of them, I believe. And uh, one of them is called uh, P46, uh, P standing for papyrus. Uh, and I'll actually pull this up on the screen so that you can see it. Uh, here's a page uh, from uh, P46. Uh, it's a collection of uh, Paul's epistles. Uh, it's often dated to around uh, 200 uh, A.D., uh, although some, uh, some have argued uh, recently that maybe we should date it a little bit later, but uh, it's usually dated to around 200 B.C. And uh, it's, uh, if not the earliest, it's one of the earliest collections that we have of Paul's uh, letters, uh, including almost all of them except the pastoral uh, epistles, uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, uh, it doesn't have Philemon, uh, and Second Thessalonians is missing, but that may be because it, it has deteriorated, uh, deteriorated on the edge of it, uh, just like at the beginning with Romans, some of the, the parts uh, uh, have, have decayed o over time. Uh, and so includes most of Paul's letters, uh, and here is a, a, a leaf, uh, and a leaf is a, a front and back uh, and here, so here's one side of a leaf, a page from the first chapter of Ephesians, uh, covering about uh, the, the first 11 uh, verses. Uh, and we'll zoom in on the, the first eight lines, because we'll be looking at this uh, variant. 
uh, and I've uh, translated it uh, into fairly wooden English uh, above the Greek text. Uh, and the red lines are just to break up the words because uh, in early times, they didn't put spaces between words in Greek, uh, which can be uh, significantly harder to, uh, to read, uh, if you can imagine. Uh, and we'll be looking at this uh, a little bit more uh, soon. Uh, and so uh, P46, uh, it's probably the most important collection uh, of Paul's letters that we have, and uh, at least one of the earliest, uh, and then including uh, Sinaiticus and Va Vaticanus, uh, which are codices, uh, basically they're in, they're in book form, uh, and they're dated to around the, the fourth century, uh, and then uh, a couple other manuscripts that are related to these. So uh, as uh, David Allen Black says, uh, the omission of in Ephesus in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, is supported by the oldest Greek manuscripts of the Pauline epistles, uh, P46, uh, Sinaiticus, and Vaticanus. Oh, and I also should have told you, uh, the P, papyrus, uh, the, the material, uh, papyrus is what it was uh, written on. Uh, papyrus was just a, a plant material that was grown in, in Egypt, and uh, they, they could make it into uh, paper to write on. It was a pretty, pretty rough surface, uh, as you can probably see on the, on the screen. Uh, these Alexandrian codices are generally considered uh, to be the most reliable authorities to the text of the New Testament, and to many, almost always preserve the original reading. So we, we have some very early, uh, or some early uh, important Greek manuscripts, uh, and also uh, some, some of the church fathers uh, also were at least aware of in Ephesus being missing, and uh, some of them cited uh, from a, a text uh, that seems to be missing uh, in Ephesus. Uh, and so this includes... Uh, uh, origin, uh, according to Clinton Arnold and uh, David Allen Black. Uh, although elsewhere, Arnold says uh, Origen does recognize that it was written to the Ephesians, uh, but in his commentary, he does cite from a text that uh, seems to be missing the, the words in Ephesus. Uh, Basil uh, is very similar. Uh, also, Jerome was apparently aware of manuscripts that uh, both included it and were uh, missing it. Uh, and then uh, Tertullian states that Marcion uh, attributed Ephesians to uh, the Laodiceans, which is very interesting, and we'll, we'll be talking about that uh, in a little bit. Uh, so uh, some early uh, important Greek manuscripts, a uh, few of the, the church fathers were at least aware of in Ephesus uh, being missing, uh, and that's our external uh, manuscript evidence, and this brings us to the uh, internal evidence, really looking at the, the context of uh, Paul's writing and Paul's uh, letter and uh, seeing which, which variant, which difference uh, best fits with Paul's letter. Uh, and really, the, the primary objection that's made uh, to in Ephesus being original uh, and arguing, they don't necessarily argue that it wasn't uh, a letter wasn't sent to Ephesus, but usually argue for more of a, a circular letter that went to multiple places. Uh, and so perhaps originally Paul left a, a blank sp space 
uh, for Tychicus as he went around, delivered the letters, and uh, then he got out his, his ink and uh, filled, in, filled in the, the line uh, for, for each church. Uh, so uh, they, they would say uh, the, the letter is rather impersonal. And so if this is a church where Paul spent uh, probably the most time, three years, founding the church in Ephesus, uh, why is this letter so impersonal? Uh, why aren't there any personal greetings in this letter? Uh, and why uh, are there seemingly impersonal uh, statements uh, within the letter? Uh, and so for the, the lack of personal uh, greetings, uh, th- they would say that uh, if Paul had spent so long, you, you'd expect him like some of his other letters to, to greet people that, that he knew and he had developed relationships uh, over, this, over this time. And so how could this only be uh, to the, the church in Ephesus? But Black uh, has a very interesting uh, response to this. Uh, and let me just read a, a paragraph uh, from him. On the surface, it appears strange uh, indeed that Paul would include no greetings in an epistle addressed to a church in which he had served for nearly three years. Uh, The facts, however, seem to present us with a different situation. Alensky, for instance, uh, calls the arguments from the impersonal style of the letter unconvincing. Uh, He points out that 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and first and second Thessalonians all lack personal greetings, yet all were written to congregations founded by Paul, uh, as was the church at Ephesus. On the other hand, the epistle to the Romans has more greetings than any other epistle of Paul, uh, yet this church was not founded by the apostle. Uh, of the nine Pauline epistles uh, which are addressed to churches, so that's leaving out uh, epistles uh, addressed to individuals, uh, including First and Second Timothy, Titus, uh, and Philemon. Uh, of the nine Pauline epistles, which are addressed to churches, five lack personal greetings. Second Corinthians, Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, and Ephesians, and four contain them. Romans, First Corinthians, Colossians, and Philippians, this latter epistle not mentioning any individuals by name. Uh, And he goes on to cite uh, Lenski uh, and Donald Guthrie, who's written uh, an important uh, New Testament uh, introduction. Although it's called an introduction, it's not introductory. Uh, It's looking at really deep issues like author and the historical context and looking into issues like like this. And he goes on to to cite them uh, and to show uh, that uh, Romans uh, and Colossians were churches that Paul never visited. He did not found them, uh, and yet Romans by far has the most personal greetings, uh, and Colossians uh, comes in uh, second, uh, with the second most personal uh, greetings. Uh, And so 
really the, the flip side is true. Uh, you can almost make the, the opposite argument that the fewer the personal greetings, uh, the more likely it's to be a church where Paul uh, knew them very well and a place that he had uh, founded. And as Lenski says, you can't just make uh, a generalization about each and every church. You have to take them on their own merits, uh, why Paul didn't give personal greetings. Uh, and Guthrie uh, even argues that perhaps for, for a church like Rome, uh, where Paul wasn't known, uh, it may have been that uh, it helped to connect him to the church more uh, to point out that he has many acquaintances in Rome uh, that they also knew, uh, both of them were familiar with. And so it would help, it'd help ingratiate uh, him with them and uh, help, help to, to give a, a stronger connection uh, between them. Uh, but uh, Guthrie even says that with, with the churches that, that he really knew, uh, you know, it, it seems that Paul uh, may have not wanted to really single too many people out because uh, he considered all of them uh, his friends and all of them uh, brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And so he didn't really want to leave ever, anyone out and uh, he, he knew them all and they, they knew him. Uh, and so uh, the, the personal greetings, uh, I don't think, uh, really, uh, really supports uh, that uh, in Ephesus is not original uh, and it's just too, uh, too impersonal. And you, you could almost argue the opposite is true. Uh, and then they'd point to impersonal statements, and we really can't uh, cover uh, many of these. We'll, we'll look at them more as we work through Ephesians, and uh, Black uh, goes through more in his article. Uh, but just for example, uh, Ephesians 1, verse 15. Uh, he says, uh, For this reason, uh, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Uh, and so they'd say, well, how is it that he's heard of it, their faith? Uh, doesn't he know that they've believed? Uh, if he was at this church for, for three years and he was so familiar with them, how is he just hearing about their, their faith and their love? And so this doesn't seem to fit that he could just be singling out the, the Ephesian uh, church. But there are actually some, some problems with this. Uh, on the one hand, you could say, uh, about five to seven years have passed. Uh, and no doubt, uh, the gospel has continued to spread. Uh, there are new believers uh, within the, the church. And so uh, he could be uh, hearing about their faith uh, as, uh, as well. And the, this report that's come from uh, Tychicus. And so uh, there are both mature believers uh, and uh, newer uh, believers, ones that he, he hasn't met. He's been away for a while. Uh, but even more importantly, uh, in other letters uh, where he knew of them, uh, he can say this same thing uh, talking about a report that's come to him from Tychicus, uh, and he already knew they were believers, but he's talking about their ongoing faith uh, in the gospel, their ongoing acts of faith, their ongoing love for all of the, the saints that has been reported to him. Uh, and so Black uh, says... Uh, Paul could write to people whom he had never met, uh, that he had heard of their faith. But he could also say to his friend and co-worker Philemon, quote, I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, 
uh, Philemon, verse 5. Alensky writes in this regard, quote, uh, one may hear about persons whom one has never met, the Colossians, as well as about persons whom one has met, uh, the Ephesians and Philemon. Uh, for Paul, therefore, to say that he has heard of these believers' faith in love uh, does not necessitate the conclusion that he had not previously known them. Uh, the verse can easily be interpreted as a reference to the progress of the Ephesian Christians since Paul's departure from uh, Ephesus. Uh, and so this uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't necessitate uh, that Paul had never, ever heard uh, of these people. And it's the first time he's heard of them, so he's uh, writing to them. Uh, and even as Black points out, uh, at the, in the closing of Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 21, uh, there seems to be a statement that, uh, that is uh, rather personal and that's directed uh, toward a, a particular destination. Uh, Paul says, uh, so that uh, you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Uh, and there's a similar statement in the, the book of Colossians. And it seems that uh, there's a specific enough group in mind uh, that Tychicus can go uh, and by mouth, face to face, uh, speak with them uh, and tell them uh, how Paul uh, is doing, uh, how he is doing uh, in uh, prison. Uh, and so th this seems to uh, fit very well with a, a fairly specific uh, destination, uh, just like the, the book of Colossians. And so, uh, in summary, uh, they argue that uh, some of our uh, early uh, and uh, good Greek manuscripts uh, are missing in Ephesus. Uh, a few church fathers are at least aware of in Ephesus being missing, and some of them uh, seem to cite from a text that, that's missing it. Uh, and uh, they would object to what they call the impersonal uh, style uh, of the, the letter. But I think as Black uh, says, uh, these objections, uh, especially about the, the impersonal style of the letter, really don't deal adequately with the, the textual and historical evidence uh, that we're about to uh, look at, arguing uh, that in Ephesus is the primary reading, uh, that it is the uh, original reading and the original audience of the letter. Now, first off, uh, we'll look at the external evidence again, uh, so the, the, the manuscripts themselves before looking at the, the context of the letter. Uh, and for the, the manuscript evidence, uh, the, the vast majority of the man manuscripts have in Ephesus. Uh, and now, in textual criticism, uh, number isn't everything. You, you can't just count up the, the manuscripts and say, well, we, we have more that, that have this, uh, so th therefore it must, must be this. Uh, most of the manuscripts we have are late uh, just because they deteriorated over time. Uh, and also in the Byzantine Empire, that's where they continued to speak Greek. That's where they continued to copy most of the, the manuscripts. But uh, the vast majority of the manuscripts, including some early manuscripts 
and diverse manuscripts from diverse uh, locations uh, in diverse character. And so uh, textual critics will often talk about text types like uh, Alexandrian manuscripts that uh, share characteristics with uh, some manuscripts that were associated with Alexandria in Egypt. Uh, Byzantine manuscripts, uh, they share characteristics with uh, with uh, manuscripts that were uh, associated with the Eastern Roman Empire, the, the Byzantine Empire, uh, where, where Greek uh, continued uh, for, uh, for many centuries. Uh, and uh, the uh, Western manuscripts, uh, those that share characteristics with manuscripts uh, associated with the Western uh, Roman Empire, the, the Latin-speaking uh, empire. Uh, and so we have a, a vast uh, diversity of manuscripts uh, from uh, all of these uh, and uh, some, some early ones uh, too, although not quite as early as uh, P46. Uh, and then, well, actually, I also want to talk about P46 for a moment. Uh, with the exception of P46, uh, the few manuscripts that lack in Ephesus all include it uh, in the, the margins uh, and uh, many of them, if not all, as the title to the book of Ephesians as well. So in the margin, uh, they, they'd sometimes make a note for a correction or just to note uh, that there was a variant. There was a difference that they were aware of. And so all of them, except P46, have in Ephesus in the margin, even though they, they don't have it in the, the actual text that was copied. And so even they a witness uh, on some level to uh, the reading of in Ephesus. Uh, and then P46, uh, if you uh, look uh, at the, the yellow spot that says uh, who are and faithful, you see the dot, dot, dot? Uh, that's where in Ephesus is, is left out. Uh, and also notice there is no gap uh, between uh, the words. Uh, some suggest, well, Paul maybe left a gap so Tychicus could later uh, fill it in as he arrived at the churches. Well, none of our manuscript evidence has a gap anywhere. Uh, it's speculation that uh, there was originally a gap uh, and one must have been left without a gap and eventually the gap was closed as it was copied. But it's just speculation and, and conjecture uh, and we don't actually have any manuscripts with a gap. The, the words just run uh, right together. Uh, but you see it's missing in Ephesus. Uh, however, look to the top of it. Uh, what does it read? To the Ephesians. That's the title. Uh, they, they even recognized uh, that it was addressed to uh, the Ephesians. Uh, and so uh, all of the ones that leave it out in some way uh, also recognize that it was addressed uh, to uh, the Ephesians. Uh, and so we, we have uh, much manuscript uh, evidence uh, that supports this. And uh, some people uh, like uh, and Eric Rowe and Peter M. Head, uh, he's a textual critic, uh, discuss some of these issues on the, the evangelical uh, textual uh, criticism uh, blog, uh, which is a pretty useful resource. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I can uh, put, put some links for that up on, on the website as well. Uh, and then 
all of our ancient translations uh, or versions, uh, uh, versions are translations, uh, they all have in Ephesus uh, without any, any exception. So uh, all of our extant ones, all, all of the ones that are still in uh, existence. Uh, and then we also have uh, early attestation by the, the church fathers uh, as well. Uh, most of the church fathers were aware that it was addressed to, uh, to Ephesus. Uh, and so uh, Arnold uh, points to uh, people like Irenaeus, uh, and he was from the, the late 2nd century uh, Cyprian origin, uh, and even uh, Ignatius. Uh, and he points to a scholar named Rainer Schwint, uh, and who uh, argues that if you read Ignatius's letter to the Ephesians, uh, he alludes uh, multiple times to Paul's letter to the Ephesians uh, and uh, recognizing that the Ephesians would pick up on uh, his uh, allusions. Uh, and so this points uh, to it being uh, written and addressed uh, to the Ephesians, something that Ignatius recognized. And Ignatius wrote uh, almost certainly in the first decade, very early years of the second century, which would be our earliest evidence, uh, just a little more than 40 years after Paul uh, wrote this uh, letter. Uh, and so we have very broad uh, attestation across the Greek manuscripts, across the, the translations, uh, and the, the church fathers uh, as well. Uh, and this brings us to the uh, internal evidence. And now, the, the first important thing to recognize is that the same phrase, who are in such and such a place, appears in Paul's other letters, always with a destination. So, uh, in Romans, in 2 Corinthians, in Philippians, uh, and we, we also have this phrase in Ephesians, uh, who are in such and such a place. And without a destination, uh, the Greek phrase is meaningless. It's redundant. Uh, it's nonsensical. It doesn't add anything. Uh, it just adds more processing effort on the part of the readers uh, and doesn't inform them of anything whatsoever. Although there have been at least a few people who've uh, tried tying themselves into pretzels trying to, to make something uh, out of it. But it, it, a place name is in all of the other letters uh, and this one demands a destination uh, as well. And it is also important uh, to remember, uh, thirdly, uh, that uh, the manuscript evidence provides no other variant locations. Ephesus is the only one. You never find Paul, uh, Paul's letter here uh, addressed to those who are in Sardis, to those who are in Laodicea to those who are in Minnesota. Uh, there, there are no variant locations. Zip, zero, nada. Only Ephesus. Uh, and now, 
if you're aware of it, informal fallacies, uh, there's one called an argument from silence. But informal fallacies have exceptions. Uh, when you have a strong reason to expect something, to expect some effect, and when it's missing, uh, it's, it's a problem. Uh, the sp silence speaks volumes. Uh, and people like James White, uh, citing Barbara and Kurt Aland, have talked about the tenacity of the text of the New Testament. It was copied so many times that once a variant is introduced into the manuscript tradition, it tends to stick. Uh, we would expect, if this is a circular letter, we should be seeing some other names uh, besides uh, Ephesus, uh, but there are no others. Uh, and there's just one qualification uh, to make for this argument. Uh, I said we'd be talking about Tertullian referencing Marcion. Uh, and he says that Marcion attributed Ephesians to the Laodiceans. And I assume Tertullian was right. He was a good scholar uh, as far as heretics come. Uh, and Marcion was a heretic. Uh, but the problem with Marcion is that he rejected the whole Old Testament uh, because he identified the God of the Old Testament as an evil God, as the evil creator of matter. He rejected most of the New Testament. Uh, he accepted, uh, as I recall, uh, Luke's writings, uh, so Luke's gospel, and he accepted uh, at least most of Paul's uh, epistles, uh, his letters. However, even these, a Marcion uh, edited them uh, and distorted them and redacted them uh, as uh, Eric Rowe and some of the others discuss on the, the Evangelical uh, Textual Criticism uh, blog. He edited uh, the writings that he even supposedly accepted. And so Marcion is an unreliable uh, witness. Uh, he is totally unreliable, and we don't find Laodiceans in any manuscript uh, evidence. Uh, no hard uh, external uh, evidence. Uh, and as Eric Rose says, uh, also if the original letter were merely an encyclical uh, with no special relationship to Ephesus at all, uh, then I would expect the absence of a recipient uh, to invite multiple different scribal insertions, so multiple locations, more than Ephesus. Uh, the the Nestle-Elan 27th edition, uh, that's the, uh, the primary uh, critical Greek text uh, that most, most translations use. Alis Marcion as a witness to the in, uh, inscriptio uh, ad Laodicenses uh, to the Laodiceans, uh, but even though he was uh, second century, I would relegate him to a secondary status as a witness uh, due to his editorial recensional habits. Uh, if the letter circulated uh, for even a little while uh, without being connected to Ephesus, uh, either explicitly or uh, via knowledge of its origin, then why wouldn't other early witnesses also give a uh, competing uh, view and there's one more point I was trying to remember. Oh, a Marcion, uh, pointing to the Laodiceans. Where did he get Laodiceans from? The book of Colossians, maybe? 
Uh, that's where Laodiceans is mentioned uh, in our Bibles, uh, a letter to the Laodiceans uh, in the manuscript evidence. That is where he probably got Laodiceans. He didn't have a manuscript that had it. He just attributed uh, the, the letter to the Ephesians to uh, the Laodiceans. Uh, and so uh, that leaves us uh, with the question, how did this variant arise? Uh, if in Ephesus is original, how uh, did it arise? Uh, and let me just read a, a paragraph from Black. Uh, he says, perhaps the most plausible answer to this question is that the address was deleted in order to convert the epistle into a Catholic letter. A Catholic meaning universal, not, not particular, but for all the church. Uh, by the omission of the words, in Ephesus, the epistle would lose its specific address and thus acquire a more general pertinence. Uh, this hypothesis has the following arguments in its favor. Uh, first, Van Roon has pointed out that there was a tendency, a quote, tendency in ancient Christianity to stress the ecumenical validity of the epistles of Paul. Uh, this tendency may have prompted the omission of geographical indications in the Pauline epistles. Second, uh, an example of the careful omission of place names is actually found in Romans 1, uh, verses 7 and 15. Uh, so we have another example uh, of this, very similar. Uh, in these verses, the 9th century majuscule uh, Boernerianus uh, omits the words in Rome after uh, those who are. Uh, the editorial committee of the United Bible Society's Greek New Testament interpreted the omission, a uh, quote, either as a result of an accident in transcription, transcription or more probably as a deliberate excision made in order to show uh, that the letter is of general, not local application. Uh, and so it'd be like them uh, taking this letter uh, and uh, saying, you know, yes, this is to the Romans, but it's not just to the Romans, but it's to, it's to all Christians. This is God-breathed. God it's to, to all Christians. And so uh, they somewhat uh, foolishly, I think, uh, deleted it from the, the letter. Uh, and Black goes on, if you read in his article, uh, to talk about uh, more evidence of some of these things uh, and that, uh, probably especially in uh, early Christianity, uh, there, there was even more struggle with uh, how are these letters uh, that we have from Paul uh, addressed to particular churches, how do they apply to, uh, to us? And uh, as he says, Ephesus, uh, the, the letter to the Ephesians uh, is an easy one uh, to just remove in Ephesus and uh, pretty easily to apply uh, in general to, uh, to other uh, other Christians without personal names and, uh, and such. Uh, and so I think that this is a better uh, explanation uh, that, that deals better with uh, the textual and historical evidence that yes, in Ephesus uh, is uh, original uh, because uh, 
most of the, the Greek manuscripts, including some early and diverse ones, uh, attest to it. Uh, all of the translations that we have, uh, most of the, the church fathers, and uh, quite possibly even Ignatius to uh, the beginning of the, the second century. Uh, and then uh, in Paul's other, other letters uh, also have uh, this phrase, always with a, a place name, uh, and the, the grammar uh, is it's, it's meaningless uh, without it. And so it demands a, a place name. And uh, behold, we, we do have a place name. Uh, it's in Ephesus, and uh, we have uh, no others. There are no uh, variant locations. Uh, and so uh, I believe that uh, a simpler, more satisfactory conclusion is that, yes, Paul wrote originally to the Ephesians, uh, and it was a, a intended to address uh, many believers uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the city. Uh, and uh, like Paul's other letters, probably in very short order, uh, it would have been copied and it would have been spread around. Uh, for if you even read uh, in the, the, the end of uh, Peter's second epistle, uh, he says that there are some things that are hard to understand in Paul's epistles. Uh, and he connects them, he identifies them with the other scriptures, uh, that they are scripture. And Peter was already aware of multiple epistles. He was aware that there were difficult things to understand. Uh, Peter had read multiple epistles by the apostle Paul. Uh, and so even very early on, these things were uh, read uh, and they, uh, they were beginning to circulate and they would be uh, collected. And so uh, Ephesians would also uh, go first uh, to the church at Ephesus and then uh, expand, expand outward like uh, Paul's uh, other, uh, other writings. Uh, and so I think it's important to cover these things uh, and we have to go in a little, little more depth, uh, but it's important for understanding uh, who is Paul's uh, audience uh, and just to, to wrestle with these uh, things. Uh, the, the Greek manuscripts, uh, they're not uh, scary. They're not frightening. Uh, in fact, the more I learn about them, the, the more I see that uh, God's word has been uh, preserved through meticulous, uh, painful hand copying over centuries and over, over millennia. We, we should be uh, thankful for that and thankful for, for all of the, the manuscripts uh, that, that we do have uh, in, in God's uh, providence. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like we're out of time uh, but we, we can just pray, and then uh, in the coming weeks, I'll, I'll be sure to, to leave more time for, uh, for discussion. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words from Paul, and I also thank you for uh, believers like, uh, like David Allen Black and uh, those who study your word so, uh, so carefully uh, to help us understand it uh, all the more carefully. Uh, and to, uh, so that we uh, rightly handle it and uh, know uh, what your apostles and your prophets uh, originally wrote uh, because we want to know what they wrote and what uh, you uh, inspired and breathed out uh, through them so that we would understand uh, all of your words and that we would be taught in the gospel, taught in your word uh, and built up and uh, encouraged. And so we uh, thank you for, for all of these things and uh, pray that you would uh, bless our time together and uh, 
bless us as we hear and uh, listen to the proclamation of your word. And we pray these things in the name of your son. Amen.